You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Eric Barton. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. If you are visiting or you're a guest today, welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, A couple things we'd love to ask you to do. Uh, One is to let us know you're here by giving us your name and your email. And here's why. We simply want to shoot you an email and say, hey, here are some things that are coming up. Here are some ways to get plugged in and to be involved. Uh, We, again, don't think it is an accident that you are here. We really have been praying that today uh, might be a day that your life is eternally changed by something that happens, which which would be pretty awesome. So we're glad you're here. We'd love your name and email. You can also text it to this number. Uh, If you do text it this number, make sure you actually put your email in your name. Otherwise, we're gonna make your name like John4372 or whatever your email is. And then that seems like a very impersonal email that you get, hey, John3472. So put your name and your your last name in there and text us that and we'll we'll get going. Hey, so uh, because Eric's not here, I'm getting a stand in and I'm super excited about this and about what's going on. So uh, if you would, you know, if you would pray with me as we go through scripture today, and actually, I I know we pray a lot in church, but I'd ask that you really think about this. And then if you would have the guts to pray with me that, that here in this next time that your life might actually change. And that we would ask God that he would do the work that only he could do in our lives and that we might be different. That who we are might be more in line with who he is here in the next little bit as we open up scripture and see what he has for us. So would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for everyone here that's in this room, that you've given us another day, that you've given us life that we don't deserve. I pray that you would do the work that only you can do, that you would actually change our heart and that you would change your mind, that you would make our mind more like yours, that you would align our desires to be more like your desires so that when we walk in obedience, it's out of joy, not out of law, it's out of love. God, I pray that you'd change us, that you'd make us more like you and, and that you would actually even surprise us that we would find ourselves walking in your spirit, aligned with you, and that we would have the joy that comes with that. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, so uh, for this time, I, I did a lot of research and, uh, and looked some things up, and there's one specific piece of, of research that I found that I, I find pretty fascinating because I kind of geek out about this stuff. It, it's what the future might look like. And uh, so, you know, you think about technology and computers and, you know, back if, if you're 40, 50 plus and you think about what life was like as a kid and how it is now and then to go, what's it going to be like even in the future? So here's a, here's a deal that both scientists uh, and, and people in the technology sector both agree on right now. And, and this is, I think this is awesome. So, in the year 2100 in 20, every person in this room will be dead. Welcome to Bethel. <laughs> and I, I know there's some moms going, wait a second, okay, they might be like 102 and on their way out their door, sure. Uh, 
But that's reality, right? All of us, and I really didn't do the research on that, I just did some math. Um, all of us are going to die. And, and that's, that's the reality. And, and oftentimes, uh, the way we think about death in light of who God is, either consciously or sub- subconsciously, really determines how we live today. So there's some of us, as we think about that, we kind of go, okay, yeah, I'm going to go skydiving and Rocky Mountain climbing and ride the bull and do that kind of deal, right? And then there's some of us, when we think about death, we think about maybe safety, safety of ourselves, of, of persevering our lives to live longer, maybe safety of other people. Or sometimes, when we think about death, we might think about legacy. What, what am I leaving on to the next generation? What am I leaving on to my kids or my grandkids? Or even what am I leaving on to the generations that won't even know my name, but somehow through the generations, I'm going to get to surpass something of who I am. That when we think about death and the end of our life, we think about legacy. And then there's some people, as we think about death, we, we actually try hard not to think about it. Well, maybe the concept of death is we, we push out there's something that, that happens to other people. Yes, we know we're all going to die intellectually, but, but we, we wouldn't embrace that. We just keep it out there. We don't want to think about it. If it sometimes gets too close to home, we... And I also know, as we talk about death, there's a lot of people here, well, that's a hard thing to talk about because it, it brings real sadness because there's many of us here who have, who have lost somebody who we have loved or, or maybe who we still love. And death can be hard. There's also even a, a piece of some folks who might say, hey, you know, I'm not scared of, of death. It's the actual dying I'm scared of. Which, get that, you know what they're saying, it's, it's not passing from this life to the next life, but it's, it's the pain that's going to happen in, in, in me, or the physical ailments, or losing my mind, or even how other loved ones around me, how, how they look at me. Well, the scripture today, it, it talks about that as well. So, so here's the deal, our scripture, we're going to actually look at death today. And we're going to, the irony is by talking about death, it, it's actually going to bring us into talking about life, and Actually, we'll also talk about how we do life with each other. So this is, this is fun. So here's a, we're, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. And, and to start, I'm going to jump here on Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15. That scripture says that through the fear of death, we were subject to lifelong slavery. So, so this is an, an interesting piece here that through the fear of death, through being scared of dying, somehow we're subject to being a, a slave. And you want to think about how, how does that work, right? So if you do, so some of you believe, if you believe in God, you believe that there is an almighty God. And if you believed that based on your life, you had to stand in front of him, it would be right to be terrified about death. To think that there's a God that, is going to judge me or look at my life and I've got to stand in front of him, I would get where death would be, would be terrifying if you had to stand on account of your own life. But, but let's say you don't believe in God. Let's even say, uh, you're, or, or maybe you don't believe in the God of the Bible. You believe that there's lots of gods or lots of ways to, to get to God. Then you might think of, ah, death, I'm, fear of death as being slavery. I don't, I don't think so. I can kind of do what I want to do. I'm free. 
How is it that I'm a slave? You know, there, there might be a few ways to look at that. Uh, one, that you might actually be someone who is scared of death, that you, you don't believe in God, but there is a, a piece of you that goes, I'm kind of scared of dying. And you are, you're enslaved to that. In fact, it might be fair if you're a, a believer and you're a Christian and you have this thought of, hey, I'm afraid of dying. It might be good to dig into that. And scripture actually here, as we go through it, will bring some of that to light and say, what do we do with that? Or there, if you're a non-believer, it might be that you are, uh, you're afraid uh, of dying and so you live in this sort of denial dream world. Again, like, I don't want to think about that. I'm not able to talk about that. And so you're in bondage, you're enslaved to be able to have parts of your life that you can't think about. Or maybe it's the other side that, you know what, if you believe there's no God and that you die, when you die, that that's the end of life, all you have to live for then is the right now. And, and that whatever you produce, whatever you do, that's all that counts. And the anxiety that can come with that, that you lack the peace that comes with knowing that this world is but a dot in a line of all eternity, that our life is very, very short and compared to eternity, and that our perspective can be that of forever and how that changes how we live today. So here's the fun part of the scripture this morning, is as we look at death and life, uh, this is one of those scriptures that, that's way cool. And, and you guys read your Bible a lot or do uh, Bible studies, you, you get this. You know, there's parts of scripture that you open up and you read and you go, yeah, that's, that's good, that's true, I believe that. And you read other stuff. But then sometimes when you dig into that scripture and you read it again, you go, oh, oh, I get that. And then you read it again and you study it some more and, and you go, oh my goodness, this stuff is legit. This is really cool. This is one of those kinds of, and of course, I did that this week because I have to stand up in front of you and talk about this, and I don't want to look stupid, okay? And you, some of you do look stupid. No, you don't look stupid. No, but, so you, but here's what I want you to do. I, and I, I've been thinking about how to do this, and I think this is so rich and so good and so life-changing. I really want you to hear this. And so like, you know, Eric Barton, he gets up here and he just talks real fast and his muses words and they all sound the same. And you're like going, oh my goodness, I don't know what he's saying, but I'm in, I'm listening, I want, give me more. And then you have like McGill who comes up here and he like looks good and unbuttons his shirt down to his navel and somehow that still looks good. And he's like, hey, and I'm out there, I'm like, man, I want to look at this guy. He's, he's got something to say, right? Okay, I don't have that. So here, here's what I've got. I'm just going to say, hey, could you like pay attention? Because this is really good stuff. And by the way, and if you start to stop paying attention, just like, hey, like I'm getting bored, I'll do a cartwheel or something so we can get back engaged and go, all right, are we here? Just let me know. Would that be fair? Um, you will. Okay, thank you. So if I get long, if I get boring, tell me. I'll, I'll tell a joker. I'll do something, and, and we'll get back in this. Because I really do think this, yeah, this is life-changing stuff. Okay, so here's what's cool. We're, we're going to look uh, here in Hebrews, and we just kind of looked a little bit there on, on 15, but we're going to look at, at verses 14 and 15, and sort of the, the flow of thought that happens in there. And then, then we're going to, we'll talk about 16 for a little bit. That's, it's kind of interesting. And then we're going to go to verse 17 and talk about the flow of thought there as well. And when you compare the flow of thought in verses 14 and 15 and also in verse 17, you know what you really get is you get sort of a behind the scenes of what's happening. It's like the, the old VH1 behind the scenes shows. And then you'd go like, that's my favorite band. And then you see the band and you go, oh, that's really what happened? That's pretty cool. That's what this is. This is a VH1 behind the scenes of scripture here in Hebrews. It's great. Okay, so let's jump into this. 
Verse 14, the author says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. So the children here are believers, and they're saying, hey, they're all humans. And so just like us, point one is you are a human. That's not the life-shattering stuff. I, know, I figure everyone knows that here. So point one, you're human. Then Jesus goes, he himself likewise partook of the same things. We know this as Christians, right? Jesus became human. But if we, if we stop on that for, for just a moment and really think about the craziness of that, it's kind of neat. In fact, it's more than neat. It's amazing that Jesus became human. He didn't come into existence at the nativity at Christmas that we celebrate. That wasn't his existence. He existed as, a, as an infinite being, as as God, as someone who could do all things, and he humbled himself to be a, a human being, to become an embryo, to be cells that split and develop, that have limitations of, of humanity. That that's who Jesus became. You think about, uh, you read some of these analogies, and it's like a, a human becoming an ant, or about like little mermaid losing her voice to get legs, or whatever else. No, it's indescribable of what that would be like for God to become man, the vastness of God to become humanity, the, the distance between those two things, it can blow us away. So he wanted to become human in order to save humans as well, which we'll, we'll come back to that a little bit more in, in verse 16. Okay, so moving on. That through death, so that, that Jesus became human so that he could die. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 16, uh, Scripture talks about in his divine nature uh, that Christ's life was indestructible, that he had to become human in order that he could die so that he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Okay, there's, there's a couple of things here on the, the power of death that is the devil. First of all, let's stop a moment and talk about the devil. So in our world, in our culture, we've made the devil the cute torchy taco logo, right? Little red baby with horns and a pitchfork that we dress up as as Halloween sometimes. But let's be clear as what scripture says about the devil and who the devil is. The devil hates us. The devil is our enemy. The devil is like a lion who wants to devour us and to kill us and destroy us, and that's what pleases him. I know as men in our families, if we knew that there was someone around the corner who wants to kill our wives and our kids, it would not be cute. It would be a big deal. And that's who the devil is, and that's what the devil wants to do. Mentioning the word devil, Dublin is Dublin meaning two, divided. Uh, that there is a sense of, of the devil who wants to divide our minds into something that's true and something that's not. We look on here that this, this devil, that God, through death, might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. This is interesting too. How is it that death makes him win? That, that doesn't make sense in most worlds. Like in war, right? If you die, 
you lose. That's how it is in the real world. Even in the fake world, in Fortnite, if you die, you lose, right? The video games or whatever else. You don't want to die. You want to stay alive. But here, through death, God wins. Scripture's going to talk more here as we look at the train of thought of how that works. And then verse 15, and to deliver all those who, who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So somehow through the death uh, of Christ, we are no longer subject to lifelong slavery through that fear of death. And then verse 16, th- this is the interesting side note. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Adam. So this is a, a theological sort of an important nuance uh, that talks about the, the why. So the fact that, that God became human allows God to save humans. It is that being that is able to be saved because he became that human. He did not become an angel. So, so Christ's death on the cross doesn't save angels, it saves humans. He specifically decided this is the species I want to save. It's you, it's me, it's us. It's human beings that he wants to save. So just the side note on there, you know, so angels, when we die, we don't become an angel. We don't get our wings. Um, when a bell rings, nothing happens. So those are two separate things. Okay, that's what I'm going to say about that. So he, here's the summary. Here's the train of thought that we want to follow here, right, in verse 14 and 15. One, you are human. So we've got it on the board. We're going to make this work. Two, therefore Christ became human. Three, so that he might die for you. Four, to nullify the deadly power of the devil. Five, so that you might be freed from slavery to fear and live in the freedom for rest of eternity. This, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what happens. But now we get to look at the behind the scenes. This is where the author of Hebrews says, okay, now, now let me say it again, but from a different perspective. So then we ver- look in verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Okay, right, so this is very similar to verse 14. Here in verse 17, he's going, therefore, that, that God became Jesus to be made like his brother in every respect, to become flesh and blood. Same as verse uh, 14, that he himself partook of these same things, flesh and blood. So it's like the author here in, in verse uh, 17 is going, remember Jesus? He became fully man. Just like in 14, hey, he became fully man. But here's where things switch up. Right, because in, in verse 14, he says, he became fully man so that you might not have the fear of death and be slaves. This is what's going to happen to you. But then in verse 17, he says, he became man so that, and he moves on here. Where are we here? So that, therefore, he made like his brother, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of people. Okay. That there's a lot of big words in there, but, but here's what we've got going on. Hey, on one hand, this is what happens to us. We don't have to be scared of God or scared of death, and we don't have to be slaves. And over here, how did he do it? Well, this is what happened. He became a high priest and propitiated our sins. Okay, so what does that mean? And this, this is where it's, where it's really fun, because we get to go, oh, this is the effect on me, and here's how he did it. Well, here's what it means. He became a high priest for the propitiation of sins. By the way, I've been practicing saying the word propitiation now all week long. I still can't say cinnamon in very well, but I can say propitiation. 
Here, here's, here's what this means. He became a high priest. Okay, so in the Old Testament, the high priest was a human who would go and make sacrifices to atone for the sins of the people. So he would go in and he would sacrifice an animal to, to take care of the sins. Well, this time Jesus said, you know what? I'm gonna become that human and I'm gonna become that human high priest so that not only can I make a sacrifice for you, but I can be the sacrifice for you. And that's why when it happened, that we're in, the, uh, in the area, in the temple, where the sacrifices took place on the cross, as he died, the, the curtain was torn from the top to the bottom, saying God tore this temple, saying no longer do we need a priest to do this because the ultimate high priest came and put himself down. This is what happened here. And then he said he did this to propitiate our sins. So this is a cool word, propitiate. If I were to rank the top 10 theological words, this would be like number six. And I don't know what one through five would be, but I'm sure it just keeps me from having to have that conversation. This is, this is really an important word. To propitiate sins means that he took on the wrath of God, the anger of God that comes with sin. So, because God is a holy and just God, when we sin, he is right, righteously angry with us, furious with us, so much the fact that it would cause eternal damnation, and that Jesus said, you know what, that anger, that, that righteous anger that God has, when I die on the cross, I am going to propitiate your sin. I'm going to take that anger that God has and put it on myself so that the God the, the God the Father does not have to have that anger. Not only does he not have to have, he does not have that anger toward us if we believe in the one who took that anger on himself. That's the behind the scenes. That's the part where we, got the, that we say, hey, you know what? We are now free from sin. We are now uh, able to not be scared of death. Why? Because we don't have to be scared because God because Jesus took on that anger himself, which is good news. It's great news. And here's the other thing. Okay, so how, how again, let's talk about the behind the scenes. How does that make it where the, the devil himself loses? How is it that, that now through Christ's death that he doesn't have the power of death? Well, here's what happens. With Christ taking on the propitiation of sins, what he's done is he's, taken away all of the weapons of God. The, or, I'm sorry, the weapons of Satan. That Satan has the weapon of saying, we've got, we've got God the Father being angry at you, but now that Jesus has taken that on himself, he doesn't have the weapon. The only weapon that Satan now has is our sin in context of unbelief. And that's it. So the only thing the devil can do now to keep you from the Father is for you not to believe, for him to perhaps distract you enough for that to happen. So, as we look at this, oh, gosh, and this is great, as we move on, even in verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. This goes back to that piece, right? If I, I, it's not death I'm afraid of, but it's dying. 
here's a, another great thing about our God is that it doesn't stop just by being theologically correct and doing the theological things for us through his love, that he does it with an empathy. That he, he doesn't just die, uh, but he takes on dying. That in the cross, in the torture prior to the cross, and even becoming human, that he's taken on the temptation and he's taken on the suffering of both life and death. And so as we look at death and we look at dying, we know that our God has gone before us in that and has walked through that with us and that there's comfort in the empathy that God the Father says, hey, I'm here with you in this. And so as we look at death for ourselves, we know that God really loves us, not just theologically to take away that sin, but he loves us enough to walk through this with us. So, where does this leave us? There's a couple places that, that I, I want us to camp out on, which I think will be really great for us as individuals, as well as us in the church. So the first, if you are not a believer in God, if you are still enslaved in the fear of death and have that bondage, now is the time to say, believe. Believe in God who sent his son to propitiate your sins, to be able to take away the wrath of God so that you can be free. If you're a Christian, and maybe you do have this fear of death and you have this bondage because of that, now might be the time to remember, to re-believe Part of this in our taking communion, that we do this as a church, as scripture asks us to do, we do it once a month so that we can remember the gospel, to help permeate through our minds and our hearts so that we can remember what Christ has done, to help us be free from that. But here's the, here's the other fun application that's gonna be good for all of us in our church, and, and I think could change a lot of things. So we look at what, God did to have union with us. Amazing steps. Became human. Came down to earth. Lived a life. Died. Suffered. Died with us so that we could be connected with him. And there's a part is if we have union with each other so we could be connected with us, we're not having to make all those steps. One, we're already all human. We all live in the same city. Actually, we kind of all attend the same church right now. And some of us are even sitting next to each other. For us to be connected to each other, the steps there aren't that big. And the beauty of our church, imparting grace in each other, that's what we do. Oh, it's huge. In fact, it changes our lives when we do that to each other, yet we don't. So here's the part. We're entering into this four-week series of community. And we're going to start today by saying, hey, here's how God has communion with us, but here's also how we can have communion communion with each other and community with each other. Um, so I'm going to get real practical uh, in this because it's easy right now, right? So we go, yeah, we should have community with each other. That, that'd be awesome. All right, so here's some of the problems, especially in our church, and this is just our culture and, and how this works, is 
uh, one of the steps of doing this is by introducing yourself <laughs> and saying, hey, my name's Mike. But here's the problem. This is what, you, this is what I think. And I'm, hey, I'm Mike. Hey. He didn't say his name. Oh, hey. I know it's Stan, but hold on. Oh, I didn't know his name. Hey, good, okay, good to meet you. And, now, and then he, I'm thinking, oh, no. Does Stan, what if I met Stan last week, and now he thinks that I'm a jerk because I didn't remember who Stan was? Uh, I'm, not, I'm just going to stay in my seat. That's going to be a little bit easier. So, right, is this a legitimate problem? You don't want to introduce yourself to other people because you're afraid that maybe you, you should already know them. Like, maybe I saw him at that birthday party three years ago, and now I'm going to feel like... So, here's, here's what I'd like us to do. And we did this in the first service, and they were all game for this. Um, could we just commit to get over that? And, and like, if someone introduces yourself and they already have, that you're not going to hold that against them? Is there anyone that would have a problem with that in this room? Well, okay. Michelle, you have a problem with that. Anybody else? Just kidding. No, anybody really? Okay, so this is the deal. When, when we introduce ourselves to each other, and if, uh, if you've actually already met them, we're not going to hold that against them. We're just going to be like, oh, that's cool. All right, fine. Okay, so that's step one. We're covered there. Step two, we're going to actually get to do that. So we're going to, we don't have that awkward time in service where you shake someone's hand next to you, and I'm fine with that. But here's what we need to do is we've got to have the courage to do that ourselves, is that after this service that you would go up to someone and say, hey, I'm Mike, or insert your name, right? That'd be weird. And, and say who you are and introduce yourself. It, it, it's simple. You know, one of the reasons people leave churches is because, in fact, one of the main reasons they leave churches is they say that they were not known. But here's what I'd like to push back to all of us. Because the mark of a mature Christian is someone who cares more about knowing people than being known. Yes, everybody wants to be known, of course. Who doesn't? But let's step out beyond that and go, my goal is to know people here. And not just their names, although that is a perfect starting point. But to get to know them outside of the sitting across the room from someone on Sunday morning. Okay, so that's the next piece. First part, we're not holding against each other when they forget our names. We're going to meet people. We're going to shake their hands. And then begin doing things with people in this room outside of this room. So there's some, some easy ways to do that. There's men's Bible studies. There's women's Bible studies. There's life groups. If you're not part of a life group here in September, we're gonna do this life group connect and you can meet some other life group leaders and plug into a life group. So that's an easy way to do it. And there's also, you can do it crazy, this in organic informal way. It's called, hey, you wanna have lunch? After service, I'd challenge you sometime this month to go, you know what? Let's ask somebody to go to lunch who is not our normal one or two couples that we always go to lunch with after church. Let's expand that a little bit. In fact, if you want to go have coffee, there's a great coffee shop not far away. <laughs> and you can actually say, put this on Mike's tab. You don't even have to pay for it. Don't worry about me. I'm going to pass it off to Eric. <laughs> it's, it won't cost you a thing. And it's going to allow you to sit with somebody and say, Hey, tell me about your life. Tell me about your story. How'd you meet your spouse? What makes you belly laugh? What are your dreams? What, what makes you sad? Just ask them about their life. Get to know them. And, and through that conversation, that's where we have the Holy Spirit that lives inside us and the Holy Spirit that lives inside them. And there's union in there. And life change happens in that. And it's awesome. Scripture talks about church 
saying that it's the edification of the saints. That's what changes us, that it's imparting in each other. It's not just, it is proclaiming the word, but it's not one person speaking to many. It's many speaking to many. It's talking to each other. It's rubbing up against each other. And as those relationships grow deeper, we get to challenge each other with hard things or sometimes soft things. Just last week, Matt McGill was like, hey, you say the word fun too much. That's not very fun. Yeah, you're substituting this because you're typically kind of more direct and you're trying to soften the blow. I'm like, oh, well, thanks, Matt. Little things like that, it's helpful, but he knows me, we have a relationship enough that he can challenge and poke at me. So, so yes, yeah, sometimes it's sin that you want to be confronted with, but it's just life that you get to have someone walk through with. Okay. So here's the takeaway. Go know somebody. Go hang out with them. Have community. Let the Holy Spirit in you connect with the Holy Spirit in someone else and let your life be changed because of that. Have the courage to, however you do your life in your system, whether you put it in your calendar, your to-do list, or you let something just nag you in the head until it gets done, put this on that list or in that system so that it happens. And I, I really believe it's gonna change your life. And it's gonna change the life of this church. and be awesome. So here's what I'm gonna do. In the spirit of community and communion, we're going to take communion, which we do communion in a great way. It is a somber experience. There's a sense because we're remembering what Christ did for us. But I, I think in the New Testament church sometimes when there was communion, there was, a remem- there was a memory of what Christ has done, and there's a seriousness to that, but there's also this fellowship, this community to it, that I imagine there's a breaking of the bread and passing the swig of the wine, and there's a, yes, we're in this together kind of feel. That's why in Scripture says when we do communion, that, that invite everyone to the table. Don't leave someone over here who's not invited, because there's a, hey, no, 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 come to the party. This is gonna be a big deal. We're all remembering Christ together. There's also a piece of communion that says, hey, if you have a problem with your brother or sister, leave it at, go, go reconcile with them. And then come and have this together. And that's what we do here too. When we take communion, if you have a, a, an issue with a spouse or someone else in this room, that we want to say, hey, come on, let's get right first. And then let's partake together as we remember what Christ did. That there's that kind of feel of communion. That this is a, a party. as a togetherness as we remember what Christ has done. I'm going to pray. As I pray, uh, if you were one of those people that were asked to be in communion. I said this wrong and like 17 people came up last service. If you were one of the people that were asked to serve the communion, come on up here and, and we're, uh, we're gonna give out the elements and we're gonna take communion together. Let me pray. Lord, I, I say thank you because I don't know another word of thanks in order to be honored and thankful for what you've done for us, that you did come and become human so that you might become a high priest and propitiate our sins. And that in that also we are free from the fear of death and slavery and bondage. So we do say thank you. As we remember you and remember what you've done on the cross and how your body was broken, how your blood was shed, I pray that that would allow us to remember the union we have with you, but also the union we get to have with each other as people who have your Holy Spirit living inside us, that we can be in real community and taste a togetherness that no one else can, that you've given us that 
that gift. Oh, we love you. <laughs> we thank you that we get to do things that give us joy. In Christ's name we pray. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.